Massey and I are excited to be offering a workshop on Sunday, December 12th. We're going to be diving into consciousness, explaining a bit about the building blocks of reality, what that has to do with our suffering, and how to shift out of that suffering and into a higher experience of life. If you're wanting to stop living from a place of stress, fear, anxiety, and relationship breakdowns, or want to become more aligned with your purpose, you aren't going to want to miss our Connecting with Consciousness workshop. It will start at noon on December 12th, and we'll meet over Zoom. It'll be recorded, so no worries if you can't make it live. Register now on karagoodwin.com. Hello and welcome to the Meditation Conversation. I'm your host, Kara Goodwin, and I'm here with Trisha Nelson. Trisha lost 50 pounds by identifying and addressing the underlying causes of her emotional eating. She's helped hundreds of people overcome food addiction and eating disorders over nearly 30 years. She's an emotional eating expert and has a new book out called Heal Your Hunger, Seven Simple Steps to End Emotional Eating Now. She also hosts the podcast Heal Your Hunger. So what a joy to have you here, Trisha. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me, Kara. It's great to be here. I'm so excited to dive into this important topic of emotional eating. Let's just start with your background. How did your personal experience of emotional eating begin? Yeah, well, let's go way back. <laughs> so <laughs> like back to when I was three, which was a long time ago. So um, uh, basically, I, as far back as I can remember, was an emotional eater and was totally like into food and loved to cook. I loved to you know, eat, of course, love to serve it to other people, go out to restaurants. It was like a big highlight for me. And that wouldn't have been a problem, but I did gain weight really easily. And so I was pretty big. And by age 20, I was 50 pounds overweight, as you mentioned. And so, um, and that was a problem because it was really something I wasn't happy about. Like I was really plagued with this just terrible sense of you know, angst about my weight. And I would um, scrunch up the roll in my tummy. I had a roll in my tummy. I still have a roll in my tummy. Um, but I had this roll in my tummy and I would imagine cutting it off. Like you cut oh. fat off the side of a steak. Uh -huh. And I sometimes imagined uh, contracting some disease where I'd automatically, automatically lose weight without oh. having to exercise. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then I even sometimes considered joining the army where I'd be forced to exercise at boot camp because I hated to exercise. Oh, wow. <laughs> so all these crazy, crazy thoughts, which were really reflective of just how desperate I felt. Yeah, how deep that went. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So it was a real angst for me. And, you know, because I couldn't diet, and of course I tried diets, the first thing you do is you're like, oh, I'll go on a diet. So mm -hmm. I tried diets and you know, I mean, I could diet for a time, but I'd always put the weight back on. I was a yo-yo dieter. So I'd be like, you know, I'd lose 30 pounds, then gain 20 pounds then lose 10 pounds. And I had as a result, like five different sizes of pants in my closet, because I never knew what size I'd be. And my skinny jeans would collect a lot of dust as I wild away years trying to find the hidden key to overcoming my food and weight problems. So that's kind of how it went for me. And Thankfully, I did find that hidden key, but it wasn't through a magic diet. So 
um, I had to go deeper and address emotional eating. And that's really what changed everything for me. And I found a mentor who could help me do that. So, you know, thankfully I found that. And then I started working with him to help other people for years. And he's the one that taught me to meditate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we worked together for years to help other people. And about four and a half years ago, I created Heal Your Hunger and um, my podcast and, uh, you know, wrote my book. And so, and then had a course online for people to begin the process of really the seven step process that I take people through to overcome emotional eating. So, which is all what I do. Like I teach what I do, you know, because I'm not cured. So I, I teach what I do and I'm free today by the grace of God, but I'm not cured. And so my freedom is very much based on my practices of self-care, you know, and my spiritual connection that enable me to live in freedom from food addiction and food compulsion and food obsession, you know? Mm. So, I mean, the good news is, is it's very possible for people, but it's not through conventional, you know, diet means. Right. Well, so when you realize that you had um, this to overcome, you know, you, you meant you went into a lot of the depth as far as how you were really feeling on the inside about being overweight. Um, what were, some of the initial ways that you tried to overcome before you went into the emotional healing side of it? Sure. How much time do you have? (laughs) (laughs) So, okay. So you first, you you do diets because it's like, oh, you know, it makes sense. I'll eat less, exercise more. So you go in diets, you know, and the the problem with diets for me is, I mean, you start out feeling great. Like I'm like, Oh, I'm going to do it. I'm doing this new diet, you know? And at first you're like feeling good, starting to look good. You know, you're, you're clear, you're clearing up and your pants are looser. Mm -hmm. But then after a couple of weeks, I hear this over and over from people, you know, it gets hard. Like it starts to get really hard and then it's no longer exciting and fun. It's just a slog you know, and then like you start thinking about food and all you want is food and you can't like, I mean, for me, I'd get this tension in my gut and it would just like, it'd get tighter and tighter until I couldn't take it anymore. And I just binge, you know, I had all these thoughts of food in my head and ultimately I just go do whatever I was thinking about. And then I'd be back to the races and I'd put all the weight back on and then some, I mean, that's the pattern. So that's what I did at first. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, of course the exercise. So I signed up for program exercise programs. So I do that. And again, at first you're all great. Yeah. Everything's great, but then it gets hard and you just don't want to do it and you're not feeling energetic and uh, everything's a slog. So that didn't last for me. And then, I mean, once I binge, I was really a binge eater. So once I binge, the last thing I want to do is get up off the couch and go run, you know, mm-hmm. cause I was full and heavy and, didn't want to put my, you know, yoga pants on because I didn't want to feel, I didn't want to see what I'd done to my body. So I wanted to wear baggy clothes, you well, know, and you so probably you've just given in to this. I mean, I'm sure there's an emotional element of that too. Like, Oh, here we go again. You know, and that oh, doesn't really put yes. you in the right frame of mind. Be like, let's go jogging. You yeah. Know? No, your energy is oh. sapped. You're just depressed, yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So, so you do the exercise thing till you can't do it. And then, 
you know, I mean, eventually, I mean, what I feel like the, the, the pattern is, I mean, you do the physical first, like deal with the symptoms or you might try pills and potions and lotions, you know, and, and all things symptom related. And then you start to realize, gosh, maybe it's mental or emotional. And so you start doing other things like maybe join 12 step programs or, you know, you're reading self-help books and your, or nutrition books. And I mean, you're reading, reading, consuming, listening to podcasts. Like you're just like, I got to find the key. Like what's the key, mm-hmm. you know? And so you're, you're sort of circling deeper. Like you're at least start like you're in mental, mental and emotional. It's like, maybe go to therapy. I mean, I went to an eating disorders therapist. So, so I was definitely like going you know, dropping deeper, deeper. yeah, beyond this, beyond the symptom, but therapy didn't do it for me. You know, I mean, I could talk about things in my life, but it didn't translate into eating less food. If anything, I ate more food because all my stuff was coming up. Oh, right. You're like rising all the stuff and having (laughs) to face it. And it's like, uh, this does not feel right. Right. Yeah. And what would I do when stuff comes up? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So, so there's that. And, and again, the 12 star programs, I mean, I went to OA and there they tell you it's like the last house on the block, you know, is where you come and nothing else works. And so I did that for, um, you know, several years and it, you know, again, same pattern. Like I'd, I'd get abstinent, lose weight for time. And then I'd, I'd bust out. Like I couldn't take it anymore. And I put the weight back on and I'm like, wait, I did this before I came here. Like I, nothing's really changed, you know? So so that didn't, I mean, it works for a lot of people. It didn't, I couldn't get where I needed to go there either. And, um, and so, you know, I tried a lot of things. Like I did a lot of things. I, you know, started to do other emotional things like codependence and adult children. I mean, I definitely had dysfunction from my childhood. So, but everything together didn't, didn't, get me where I needed to go. And so I'm so grateful that I did find a solution and I did find it young. I mean, I was very blessed that I was really like a dog with a bone. And when so many things at so many different levels didn't work for me, you know, I was so glad that I discovered, like, I'm so glad that I ran out of, like I exhausted everything, I guess is the right way to say it. I exhausted all options so young. I just really feel so blessed. I was, I was so young. And then I did meet somebody who could help me so young. So, I mean, my life turned around literally at age 21, 22. And, and then I started helping others because I was free. I was like, oh my God, yeah, yeah I'm free. Not that I was done. I had a lot more growing and, and healing to do, but I found a solution. And so you know, I mean, so many people I help are, you know, they've gone down that journey, that same journey. Cause you don't initially want to like heal from the inside out, like mm-hmm. to deal with your weight problem. Yeah. You, <laughs> you know, wanna, like a direct quick yeah. hit. Yeah, exactly. So it, so generally the people who come to me are middle-aged because they've been beat. It's like, they're just beating themselves up for so long with diets and yeah. all this nonsense. So um, so yeah, but I, I was very blessed to get help at a young age and this is my whole adult life. This is what I've done is help people with this problem because I know how hard it is. It sounds like it. Yeah. You have a lot of experience and a lot of different ways to approach weight yeah. loss. So what were the keys for you that finally really helped to turn things around as far as your healing, your hunger? 
Um, so what happened for me, first of all, is just a shift in perspective. And so instead of, um, you know, focusing on what foods were doing to me, I started to address what they were doing for me. And, uh, this is a big shift, right? And so what I mean by that is I'm going to give you a little acronym, which is PEP, P-E-P. And the first P stands for painkiller. So I was using food as a painkiller, you know, I was drawn to heavy foods like sugar, fat, and carbs, my favorite three food groups, by the way. <laughs> so I was, I was drawn to those heavy foods because they anesthetize my pain. Like after a binge, I'd be feeling nothing, like totally numbed out. So I, I, the, the food is serving a purpose of killing my pain. You know, um, that was the P and PEP. The E and PEP stands for escape. So I was using food as a form of escape, you know, because when things got, when my life got a little stressful, you know, financial fear, you know, family tension, feelings of anxiety, I just want to check out, you know, and I think people can relate to this in terms of the pandemic. Like there was no, like everybody in the world was escaping in food because we were stockpiling it at home. And then we didn't know what the hell was going on. You know, our whole lives were upended. So it's like, what um, do we do next? There's nothing to do. I'm going to go to the pantry. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So, so that's a big part of it is just escaping our reality. And then the last P is punishment. And that is really counterintuitive for most because it's like, wait, yummy foods are meant to be a reward, not a punishment. But, you know, the way I ate, I would overindulge and end up feeling sick. And that is not, you know, a reward, you know, that's more of a punishment. And so in my experience, overeaters tend to be overfeelers. So I would feel guilty about everything. And I'd also be really hard on myself when I'd make a mistake. And so, and then it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. And I, you know, you feel bad, then you beat yourself up with more food. And so, but these three things are, this is, I I like to share these, Kara, because this is a great way to begin making the connection between eating and your emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I mean, there's a lot more to it and we can talk about more, but I think it's just important at first, you know, that, that kind of pet formula is a great way for people to start, you know, seeing that it's not just that we like food. Cause that's what I told myself. I'm like, Oh, I'm not an emotional eater. I just like food, which of mm-hmm. course I do, but, yeah. but it is more than that, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that's why, we got to go, you know, take that journey inside and see what's going on. And so that's a great first step. Right. That's wonderful. Are, is there typically, you know, in your years of experience and all the clients that you've helped, are there typically similar routes to emotional eating and food addiction? Or does it, I mean, or is it like it could be as varied as there are people or maybe it's both? Um, you know, people often say to me, I know why I eat and it's, they're thinking it's, you know, because I was sexually abused or because, you know, whatever I had an alcoholic parent and that's all true. Like that's all part of it for sure. I mean, I had sexual abuse as a child and no question, you know, I mean, the number one way or tool you have as a kid when you're, you know, you're being perpetrated on is, is to cover up your body with fat, you know? So it's like, it gives you a sense of protection. So no question, 
food served that purpose for me, but it's never just one thing in my experience. And so, and, and I'll tell you why is it because, okay, I was sexually abused as a child. So I reached out for food. Food was my number one coping tool because um, so food is our number one tool as kids and um, well, food and masturbation, fantasy, you know, things that are readily available as kids, we don't have a lot to, you know, we don't, it's always a secret. So we're not telling anybody, we're not getting therapy for it typically. So, um, so we're just there with it. So food is there is available. Thank God, you know, thank yeah. God it helps us. Um, but really it's, you know, what happens is we also develop personality traits mm. that are coping skills. So for instance, if we have a parent who's an alcoholic or drug addict or has mental illness or a rager, whatever, you know, as kids, we are going to, we're going to become chameleons and we're going to like do things to help us get through that experience. So we develop coping skills, which are personality traits, which do work. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like for instance, being a people pleaser, I've never met an emotional eater. I've met very few that weren't people pleasers, a few here and there, of course, but um, generally emotional eaters like me um, are people pleasers. Like we oh, seek validation from outside ourselves mm -hmm. because as kids, it, it works like in order to not get your ass kicked, you're going to like, you're going to learn how to make mom or dad happy, Yeah, you know, but as adults, this is a very destructive habit because we end up, you know, overdoing overeaters are overdoers. So we overdo we're always trying to make people happy. We're always taking on more than we should. We don't have boundaries. Okay. So mm -hmm. we're saying yes to everything. Sure. I'll chair the committee, happy to host the party. And yes, I'll do your job and mine without extra pay. No problem. <laughs> okay. Yeah, right. And, and so it's, it's all, all of a sudden not a healthy, you know, save your life coping tool. It's just bad for us. It's bad for our health. It's bad for us mentally. And we get resentful. Because in my experience, nobody's ever as pleased as I plan on them being when I start busting my butt. Yeah, <laughs> so, true. so, and, and, you know, between burning myself out, you know, trying to make people happy and becoming resentful because they never are, that's the perfect storm for the, I deserve it binge, you know, like screw them. I'm going to please myself. And mm -hmm. so that's how. I mean, that's a very typical uh, driver of emotional eating that has nothing to do with food. And it doesn't have anything to do with the original sin, so to speak, you know, the original trauma, but it has everything to do with why we eat. And so this is so much of what my work is about is really how do we address the living problem? Like, let's address the living problem because the eating problem is a symptom, you know, yeah. overweight is a symptom of overeating and overeating is a symptom of what's eating me. So we got to deal with that. And it's the good news is, is people don't need 20 years of therapy to start turning things around, you know, and mm -hmm. so just addressing the people pleasing, just starting to put boundaries on our time, you know, it's just starting to realize, you know, where we stop and somebody else begins. These are really important spiritual lessons, you know, right. life lessons that will directly impact our eating. And so, but people won't see that because they're just looking at the eating calories, you know, nutrition, food plans, diets, ketones, right. you know, like what can I do to fix this 
problem, but the problem is not the real problem. And so uh, that's really, that's where I live is showing people how to address the real problem, the underlying causes. And that's just one, honestly, that's just one, Yeah. yeah, one example. And I actually have something called the anatomy of the emotional eater. And it's 24 personality traits that we develop that drive our eating that need to be addressed. And so um, that's people pleasing just has to be at, at the top of the left list. Yeah. And I would have never made that correlation. I find that fascinating that there is that correlation between the two that you said that so many of the people like a high, high percentage of the people you've worked with have also been people pleasers. That seems like one of those um, like who's that uh, statistician that makes those uh tipping point, you know, Malcolm Gladwell, that seems like one of those Malcolm Gladwell, like (laughs) connections, like, yeah, you're, why is it that so many of the overeater people who have a problem with food addiction are people pleasers? You know, it's like, how did you figure that out? Like, that's really, I wouldn't have put those things together. It's so fascinating. Yeah, well, that's the, that's the benefit of, I mean, honestly, of having had the problem because I just know it so intimately because that's how I that's that's how I had to heal is is really doing that deeper work. So that's why I'm so excited to share it with other people, because, you know, your mess becomes your message. Oh, I love that. (laughs) Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, And it sounds like so much of your approach is really deep it's much more than the surface and it sounds like you know the overeating is is like just like you said it's one symptom of of a bigger thing that needs to heal um one thing that i always find interesting in general in in our society is like the chemically processed foods and the additives and and things like that that seem to work against all of us because if we're eating processed foods for example or a lot of fast food you know there are all those additives that actually have that addictive component you know they're engineered to make us want to you know to desire more and for our brain you know there's that brain chemical hit that we get that it you know I don't know if any of your if, if any of your work goes in that direction or if you have any any insights to share there oh yeah no I mean I'm not uh, that's not my expertise, um, uh, but I certainly know it's true, mm. <laughs> you know, and, and sugar in general, even natural sugars. I mean, I've done damage eating at Whole Foods, you know, so, um, you know, because sugar in general is highly addictive and yeah. they do put sugar. I mean, a question manufacturers put sugar in everything these days and, mm-hmm. you know, salad dressings and spaghetti sauces and, all kinds of places that shouldn't be, you know, simply. So we will, you know, bread. So we'll be addicted for sure. Right. We are such, I mean, it's, it's just so, it's so tricky. There are like so many prongs going into these biological beings that we are as far as, you know, these like biological, chemical, emotional um, things that are so complex and make up a very complex being and then a very complex um, puzzle to solve when you're trying to improve yourself or overcome things like this. No question. Yeah. Well, so let's talk a little bit about meditation and mindfulness in terms of the eating regime. How has meditation and mindfulness played a role in in your healing and how you uh, advise others to 
control their, heal their hunger? Um, well, it's, you know, since this is the meditation show, um, <laughs> I, I teach um, something. I mean, stress is a big part of it. And a lot of our stress comes, again, from these personality traits, uh, from the anatomy of the emotional eater, um, which is, again, it's good news because if we're creating our stress, we can make you know, changes and stop creating our stress, mm -hmm. you know, and so much of the time we feel a victim of our stress, but we don't know how we think. I mean, perfectionism is a good example. Like as emotional leaders, we tend to want to be perfect and we are really hard on ourselves if we make mistakes, but that just makes us more stressed out because we put all this pressure on ourselves, mm -hmm. but we're doing it. So the good news is, you know, that's, it's not really that there's all this pressure, it's that we're putting that pressure because again, we, we, we get our self-esteem from our accomplishments, you know, from mm -hmm. we think of ourselves as human doers, not human being. And so beings. And so um, it's really important that we make those changes. But another thing, you know, just in general is that we have to have a morning routine. And this is what I teach. We have to have a morning routine where we can get centered. We can like, get still and quiet because if we pop out of bed and we're ricocheting off of, all the different stressors we have, like we're checking our texts and our email and, you know, we're answering phone calls. And I mean, we're already off center, right? Mm -hmm. And so I tell people, you have to get centered so that you can draw from that, you know, because if we don't, if we're not centered, at least at the beginning of the day, it's not that we're not going to get off center, but if we start by, by getting centered, get still and quiet, connect to our divine source, then we can, we can go back there throughout the day. We can draw from that. I, I call it uh, putting money in your spiritual bank account, like make some deposits first thing in the morning so that when life does get really stressful and you are running from this need to that need, you know, and, and uh, different tasks that you have, especially later in the day. And emotional eaters typically have their hardest time in the afternoons and evenings, but that's when the stress is piled up. You know, that's when we've gone through the whole day, you know, and we're worn down. Mm -hmm. And so I teach people what I call the six self-care success secrets. And so if you do self-care first thing in the morning, you're putting money in your spiritual bank account. You can make withdrawals later. If you have nothing to withdraw, then you're looking for chocolate you know, chocolate mm -hmm. or wine to give you that boost, that, that, that kick that you're needing when you're feeling worn down. And so it's up to us to fill, you know, our, you know, fill our tank is another way of putting it or another analogy. So the self-care secrets that I teach that are vital, absolutely vital to overcoming emotional eating in my experience are meditation as probably the number one meditation, prayer, spiritual readings, like spiritual or inspirational readings um, writing, talking and walking. So these six things, you know, if you do any combination of these, they're going to help you get more centered and they're tools you can draw, like you can turn to anytime you're stressed out, anytime you're angry, pissed off, you know, on a rage, you know, yeah. and, um, because if you, if you don't overeat, you're going to have feelings, mm -hmm. you know? And so the, the reason why 98% of all diets fail is because, we take away all of our favorite foods and then we're like, go get them tiger, you know, but, but, but we don't still happens. Yeah. yeah. We don't have any new tools to draw on. Right. So we're like, before we know it, we're like, where's that food? Like I can't mm -hmm. deal with life. Like food was our crutch, yeah. you know, we have to have a new crutch and hopefully a, a healthier one. 
Right. So these, these self-care secrets are healthier ones. They don't have adverse side effects, you know? And so I'm totally, you know, this is my big beat that our drum that I beat is you have to replace the food with something else. Otherwise you will go back to that food. It's a lifelong addictive habit, the hardest to break, you know, mm-hmm. and people think, Oh, I should be able to control what I put in my mouth. It's so silly, you know, to need help with this, but no, it's the hardest to break because we have to eat, Yeah, you know, it's yeah. not like alcohol where you can just put the plug in the jug. We have to eat three times a day. So it's like, it's like three times a day, we're taking a growling tiger out of a cage, trying to pet the nice kitty and somehow put it back in the cage and shut the door without it getting our asses torn off. Right. You know, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's I love that it's analogy. Yeah. And then also just the habit too. So I love that you're implementing these self care pieces because like you're saying with the food, you know, it's like, we can't turn away from food. We've got, you just, you have to like make new choices but it's like there are all these habits that we have a lifetime of of building up. Like this is how I eat. This is what I go to. This is like my response to life. Or I feel, even if it's just feeling the hunger itself, how do I, how do I deal? What, what's my reaction, my response when I feel that hunger in my tummy? Or somebody just insulted me. And so how do I respond to that? you talk about that self-care where it's like, okay, here's like a whole new way to live your morning. Let's just reset everything so that you've got all these new neural pathways of like, this is what a morning is for me now, you know? Exactly. This isn't what a morning used to be, but this is like my new morning. And then you're already in that mindset of like making new habits, making new neural pathways, discovering and and um, exploring, like, what, how do these new choices make me feel? And um, I think that that is a really valuable um, strategy for, yeah. for such a, a big undertaking. of it, it, it absolutely is. You know, and the other thing, too, is getting support, you know, so people are like, oh, I should be able to do this on my own. Mm-hmm. And you know, again, for the, one of the hardest addictions there are to break, you know, where it's everywhere and it's socially acceptable, you know, I mean, yeah. whether it be, you know, the checkout aisle and the supermarket, holiday parties, TV ads, I mean, food is everywhere. Temptation is everywhere. So of course we're going to need support. And, and people don't think twice about hiring, you know, a trainer, if they want to get fit, like they want to do it right. So they hire a trainer and they also need accountability and that trainer gives them that. But Mm. for food, oh, heavens no. Like, let me just figure, this is very shameful. Let me figure it out on my own. No, if you could have, you probably would have, you know? So, so it's going to take support, no question. And there's a lot of benefits. I do most of my um, work in groups because, you know, on Zoom, because it, you know, when you're looking at other people, other women around the world who have the same struggles, it takes so much of that shame out of it. You're, and it, the isolation of what you're going through, because we all think we're the only ones who have eaten the way we've eaten. Or, I mean, I used to binge and get so like full that I'd be like, oh my God, I can't finish this. I'm going to throw it out and never eat that kind of crap again. I throw it out 
And then literally two hours later, when I have more room in my tummy, I'd go get those cookies that I knew were in the trash. Mm, And Kara, I'd be like, oh my God, like that is the most disgusting thing I've ever done for one thing, but heard of, and I must be the worst person in the world. Mm. Well, do you know, I did, I reenacted garbage eating, which is what I call it on YouTube. And I got like 60,000 hits. I'm sure. I remember there was a sex in the city episode about that where Miranda Mm -hmm. threw like part of a chocolate cake in the trash and and I, I have a sweet tooth. And I was like, oh, how can she throw that out? It looks so amazing. <laughs> and then she went and ate it from the trash. I was like, okay, now it makes more sense. <laughs> well, right. And there's, there, I think there's a Seinfeld one as well that has that, yeah. it, that uh, scenario. So yeah, very common. But of yeah. course, we're telling ourselves we're the only ones and we're just, we're just the scum of the earth because we're so gross. So it's just yeah. so important to realize we're not. And to be in community is going to make the healing process so much better. Absolutely. That is so important. It's vital. That's amazing. Um, And I was going to ask you, actually, if you had any tips for eating sensibly from a social perspective, because just like you said, you know, there's so much pressure. um, And when you're really trying to enact a big change like that, you know, if you have a lifetime of struggle in this department and then you go and find yourself in a social situation, you see what everybody else is doing um, you know, I've experienced this, like I, I like to do cleanses, not all the time, mm-hmm. but I've done some and, mm-hmm. you know, it's like when I do a cleanse, it's anywhere from like three to nine days or something. But I mean, please, if somebody wants to go out to eat, usually it's like, oh, can't, nope, not, you know, <laughs> like I'm not doing yeah. that to myself. Um, but if you're trying to like make this like a permanent change and like really change your lifestyle that, you know, you can't, you can't decline every invitation. Um, so, you know, if someone doesn't feel supportive in making that lifestyle change or, or people are just obtuse about it, you know, and don't understand how difficult it is for the person going through that, or do you have any tips from that social perspective? Yeah. And again, that's why the community is so vital because Mm. I mean, especially with meditation, I mean, all my clients are learning how to meditate once, if not twice a day. I recommend twice a day for emotional eaters because late in the day when you're stressed out, you know, before Mm. you go to the kitchen, if you meditate first, you're guaranteed to eat less. Like, cause you've like, you're, you're in a high spin And if you take time to come down from the spin before you go to the kitchen, you're not using food or chips to, to come down, Mm -hmm. you know? And so it's really important. So, um, but if, you know, twice a day is a lot for people at first. So, um, just once a day, but, but to be looking at other women who are, have very busy minds is another trait of the anatomy of emotional eater is, is like having a racing mind that you're constantly thinking. So to be with other people who are like, never stop thinking they're always and they're always shooting on themselves oh I should do this I should be this I should be that Mm -hmm. you know and 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 learning how to meditate in that kind of community it it normalizes it it's like it's not weird to take time before dinner to meditate or to tell your friends I can't meet at 6 30 you guys go ahead and order I'll be there in 30 minutes I mean I do Mm -hmm. that I'll go meditate in my car before going into dinner with friends 
because I have to meditate. It's just mm-hmm. part of who I am. It's part of how I maintain the balance that I have. And so, but that's pretty weird, you know, to the, <laughs> to the you know, to the, to the regular person, quote, normal person who's, who uh-huh. is that, but you know, it, it's kind of a, it's kind of extreme. I mean, I just went sailing for a week in Maine and I mean, my boyfriend knows we went together and he knows I meditate. Like I just sat there on the boat and I meditated before I started making dinner. It was awesome. It was gorgeous and beautiful. So, but it's part of my life and it's a non-negotiable and everybody who loves me and knows me, they just, they're like, cool, you're meditating because they, they know I need that. And so I don't, people please and say, Oh, I don't want people to think I'm weird. So I'm not going to do it. I do it. But it's so much easier when you're in a community of people who are doing that, who are making, you know, those, you know, those choices and you, you don't get talked out of it. You get cheered on for it, you know, and that makes it so much easier. And we have a Facebook group where we, you know, if we're nervous about going out to dinner or we're nervous about, you know, doing something where we might not be able to follow through with, you know, our healthy choices. We just pop in there and we're all cheering each other on. So there, I mean, it's, that makes such a difference. Oh, such a difference. Yeah. I love that too, because in my experience with meditation, um, you know, when I first started, it was about one thing. And the more that I, more experience I got, I got to know myself differently, you know, I got to know myself from a new perspective, but I, I kind of saw myself from a different perspective too. So I love what you're saying about making that time for the, um, that connection with yourself, with your inner realm before you have the challenge, you know, directly before, because at least it might not be right away when you're just learning how to meditate, but eventually, you know, you start to um, tap into a higher kind of version of yourself. You know, you start to um, see yourself as more than the body and more than the personality and more than mm-hmm. the likes and the dislikes. You know, it's like you you have this access to this huge reservoir of who you really are that is so much bigger than the physical expression and so consciously making a point of connecting with that before you're um, hit with social pressures or hit with, you know, the, the decision of what am I going to grab when I'm in the pantry is really yeah. wise. Yep. And there's a saying I love, which is, um, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah. planning and being conscious and, and taking care of your needs. I mean, you have to think about food more in some ways if you want to be healthy because you have to think ahead, mm-hmm. you know, and so that's just as important. Not mm-hmm. that you're obsessed about it, but you definitely, it's sort of like, I mean, we're so used to denying ourselves as emotional eaters. We're used to just skipping meals, which we do thinking we're going to get ahead, but we always, it always bites us in the butt because we end up eating more like binging because we're too hungry. So it's not a good plan. You know, I recommend three meals. Um, I call it three meal magic. But I mean, the point is that, you know, we need to treat ourselves like we would treat our sweet baby daughter, you Mm. know, and we wouldn't say to our sweet baby daughter, oh, you know, I'm not going to prepare your dinner. I'm just going to, we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll see what's available. Like, you know, see when we're driving, we'll see what's available. We, we make plans like, oh, I need to 
feed my daughter, you know, some protein and some, some, you know, something healthy. Um, Mm. and we also don't say to our kid, um, oh, you're not going to like, why don't we just skip breakfast and lunch and maybe you'll lose a few pounds. You know, we don't say that to our daughter, do we? (laughs) Right. (laughs) But we say it to ourselves, you know? So anyway. Yeah. I love that. Um, I think we could all benefit so much if we just speak to ourselves and think about ourselves with much more kindness, you know, that's just going to elevate who we are, you know, and then that ripples out. Absolutely. Beautiful. So do you have one step that somebody could take today to take control of their eating to help heal their hunger? Um, I would say, uh, it would be a Mm non-step and that would be, don't get on the scale. Ah. (laughs) So don't get on that scale. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm not a fan of the scale. You know, the problem with the, is the scale when you're a emotional eater and you have struggled with your weight, you know, we get really obsessed with the scale and we're jumping on it all the time. Did we lose weight? Did it work? You know, did that run that I went on work? You know, I've been good. I've been good for a week. What happened? And we just make the scale our higher power, you know? And the problem with that is if we, we get it, give it the power to make us feel good. We also give it the power to make us feel bad. And it's a setup because when we, if it does say something good, we're like, ah, you know, I lost five pounds. You know, it's in the back of our minds. It's this little thing that says, oh, now I can eat. Like now I can have some cake. And then we put the five pounds back on, you know. (laughs) And if it tells us something bad, you know, and we've been trying hard and it's like the needle didn't move. And we're like, what the hell? Like I've been trying so hard. What's the point? Right. right. What's the point? And then we go and have, as I said, you know, sort of the, the self-pity binge, you know, what's the point? I try so hard and it doesn't even pay off. Well, yeah, it does pay off to eat healthy, mm-hmm. you know, newsflash, even if it doesn't move the needle on the scale, you know, yeah. so, so it's just a setup either way. And so I say, let's like, let's get your head out of the symptom. Let's get it out of the diet mentality Let's start thinking about self-care. How can we care for our bodies? How can we treat our bodies like we would treat our little girl, sweet little girl's body, you know, like with love and care and good nourishment, you know, and really make it about that, Mm. you know, because that's that whole diet thing. It's just a roller coaster ride and it's a, it's a, it's a net some, you know, proposition. Like we're not going to win from that. So that's what I would say is stop dieting, stop dieting, get off the scale. I mean, we know when we've gained weight, our pants don't feel good. Yeah. <laughs> you know? don't feel good. Let that be enough, you know, yeah. but this obsessive measuring and counting and monitoring that is just, it, it's just not where our attention needs to be. Let's, let's start looking within, like, what can we do to be more emotionally balanced? What can we do to get more in touch with our emotions? You know, journaling is so good. Just offloading stressful thoughts and feelings, Mm -hmm. you know, and also reaching out for help, not trying to do it alone. I love that. I mean, it makes me think of, um, an analogy of like, if you're trying to grow a plant from a seed, you know, it's like, you don't, plant the seed and then keep digging it up. 
to see like, oh, yeah, is it starting exactly. to sprout, you know, or yeah, exactly. like, where is it in the soil? It's like this stuff, <laughs> yeah. it does, it takes time. And especially when you're really wanting to truly affect change and not do like a crash diet where it's like, let's just get rid of all the water, you know, and right. wow, well, that got rid <laughs> of three pounds really fast. And, you know, but it's not sustainable. Like you can't, yep. you can't live like that. Yes. <laughs> Your cells need that fluid. And exactly. So, well, beautiful. Yeah. Um, you have so many beautiful practical tips of, of how to really get your arms around coming into healing. Um, what are some ways that people can find out more about your offerings and working with you? Sure. My website is healyourhunger.com. It's H-E-A-L, healyourhunger.com. People can access my book through there, uh, order my book. Um, the book's on Amazon, so they can go to Amazon also, but um, it's kind of a one-stop shop. So you go to healyourhunger.com. Um, my podcast is on there, recordings on my podcast. Um, it's on iTunes as well. Um, and also there's a free quiz. So if somebody's like a little circumspective, like, I don't think I'm an emotional eater, or maybe I am, or maybe I'm a food addict. You can take a quiz, takes about two minutes to take the quiz and you can find out where you are. So I considered a spectrum. So it's like you're either an emotional eater or a food addict or somewhere in between, and there's different levels. And so just take the quiz and find out, get your personalized score. And that's on the website as well. So it's healyourhunger.com. My podcast is the heal your hunger show. And then I'm also on Instagram, Trisha Nelson underscore. The underscore is at the last N in Nelson. So, and I do lots of cute, fun posts around this topic as well on Instagram. Oh, perfect. And your book is Heal Your Hunger, Seven Simple Steps to End Emotional Eating Now. Yep. Beautiful. And then you do coaching as well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a coach and I have a, I have a 90 day program that's really like changes people's lives. And so, um, and so that's really great. And if somebody really wants, at least interested and wants to learn about that, I do offer a complimentary breakthrough session um, and they can get that link on my website as well. Okay. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for all of the work that you're doing to help people improve their existence and to heal their hunger and to just live more fulfilling lives. It's really beautiful. Oh, and thank you, Kara, for your amazing work in the world. So it's so, so vital. Great. Well, it's been such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much, Tricia. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So be sure to check out Trisha, Trisha Nelson, and her website, Heal Your Hunger, and all of the great resources that she has out there, her book, Heal Your Hunger, and her programs, um, really valuable insight in just getting the most out of your, your life, your, your body, your time here um, and getting back to full health so that you can be, be as strong and um, with as much energy and light um, that you're capable of holding and radiating. Um, it's all really beautiful, transformative stuff. And thank you for listening to the meditation conversation. Be sure you subscribe. Um, you can rate, review, and share this episode. 
I appreciate it greatly. And I look forward to the next meditation conversation. <laughs>